it's just genuinely my great joy to introduce uh, someone I love greatly. Uh, he's a hero to me and he's a dear friend. Uh, Brian Heasley um, has just got the most extraordinary story. If you've if you read uh, my book, Dirty Glory, you'll have heard a fair bit of uh, uh, Brian's story. He said he was lying in bed with his wife, Tracy, uh, recently, and she was reading Dirty Glory about him and saying this is just completely weird. Uh, he said to her, do you sometimes feel that you're just lying in bed next to a legend? And, <laughs> and she said, no, not in the slightest. Uh, so, but... Um, Brian, Brian will tell you more of his story, uh, but the, the summary is that in, in, it, you know, it begins in the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and it passes through prison, and today uh, he's the National Director of 24-7 Prayer, uh, having pioneered our work in Ibiza with Tracy, and it's lovely to have their son Ellis with us here today as well. And uh, now he literally also works two days a week in a palace, uh, in Lambeth Palace. And so uh, he's just the most amazing guy. It's a privilege to have him with us. So put your hands together and welcome Brian Heasley. Take your time. I, I, we all like to think that our wives would imagine we're legends. <laughs> so good to be here. I had the privilege uh, this week of going to Ibiza with Dave Slynn. We had fun. It was like boys on tour, wasn't it, Dave? It was so good. No, sorry. Uh, it, <laughs> it was meaningful. We were, uh, you know what's, uh, what's really beautiful about what's happening here at Emmaus is that the idea that you're going to plant into Ibiza and we're going to see something happen there that's going to be really, really special. And so for me, who has a, have a real heart for mission and have a real heart for the dark places. It's so good that you're sending Dave and Liz, so I'm super excited. Uh, and, oh, just so you know, there is, we have another book, which has been out a little while, but it's called Gate Crashing, and it's the story of 24-7 prayer in Ibiza. Now, I was imagining if you as a church were sending people to go and plant any beef, you'd probably want to know a little bit more detail about it. So I got some of these from the publisher, and they're, uh, we've even got them at half price, because I knew I was in Surrey and it'd be challenging. So uh, they're, they're, they're five pound each, and uh, we've got some for sale in the foyer. If you'd like one, please uh, grab one. It's, it's a good read, and it, it just helps you understand about what you as a church really are getting involved in, and about what Dave and Liz are going to be getting involved in, so it's, it's really, really good. Now, Pete gave me a wonderful title for a talk, as you can see behind me. It's uh, Prisons, Pimps and Palaces. Not something I'm often asked to speak about, but I do understand why he did that. Uh, I might, as, as he said, my name's Brian and I have, uh, I'm the leader of 24-7. My journey is, is I, I talked about it last time, has been interesting to say the least. I grew up in Northern Ireland. I don't have a Northern Irish accent because I w it, it, we moved to Essex, which didn't help my ac Essex doesn't help anybody's accent. And uh, if you're from Essex, it's a great place. My dad still lives there. So I try not to isolate anyone in the audience. They always tell you that. And uh, I ended up, uh, my mother died when I was 11. I struggled. My father was a pastor. I went to prison when I was 18. I've been to prison four times. No really long experiences of prison, but kind of I had a, a difficult two-year period of, 
just the culmination of grief and pain of loss of your mother that kind of outworked itself in its, my later teenage years. So I ended up in prison at, at age 20. I, I, I was going to say I escaped, not literally. I, uh, I, I got out and I had an encounter with Jesus. I realized that my life was going nowhere. I realized that I was struggling to make it on my own and that if there was a God in heaven, surely he could help me. So I gave my life to him very simply in a probation hostel in Ipswich. I I remember saying, Lord, I give you the rest of my life. And that was in 1990. And so I moved to Norfolk where we still live I eventually became the pastor of the church that I joined from prison. So I genuinely believe in the redemptive power of community, that, when you, that this, this is what matters. Amen. You know, uh, is it Bill Hybels or something? Someone says that local church is the hope of the world. And you know, this is where Christ outworks who he is here on this planet through bodies of individuals like us. This is where people come and feel welcomed and loved and accepted. This is where we grow. This is where we find faith. This is where we learn about faith. And so I'm passionate about the local church because I joined a church from prison. They somehow let me become the children's worker. Then I became the youth worker. And then I was only in prison for, I was in, just to get a little bit detail, just so no one's worried. I was in prison for armed robbery, threatening behavior, fraud and deception. But it was all kind of, it, it sounds worse than it is. <laughs> I, I just realized as I say it, it's like I'm trying to reassure you. And uh, it, I don't, it, when I'm saying it, it doesn't quite work. And the problem was as well, I was like nine and a half stone and I had really long hair. So I look more like a criminal now than I did then. Okay, so I wasn't scary at all. I was just troubled. And so I journeyed through children's work, youth work, senior pastor. And then in 2005, the Lord, through a whole load of events, which you can read about in Dirty Glory, called us to Ibiza. So Tracy and I and our two sons, we moved to Ibiza and we, we established a work out there that was, was, at the time, San Antonio had the most clubs, pubs and bars per square mile in all of Europe. And so we... We walked the streets, we ministered to people, we loved the lost, we do what you're meant to do. And uh, it was beautiful. Sometimes I find that I, I, God will stir me a little bit emotionally, but I really don't want you to worry about that, okay? It's just I'm Irish, these things happen from time to time. We get emotional. And no, it's the Holy Spirit, genuinely. Uh, didn't cry for about 10 years, so that, that didn't help. So now sometimes it just comes out, it's fine. God is look. you know, I, I, just a little segue there is that God is looking for soft hearts, isn't he? Yeah. You know, we see a lot in the world, we experience a lot, but you've got to keep your heart soft. So I try and just always remain soft, and sometimes that can be challenging. I went to Pentonville Prison to talk to a load of prisoners, and I just started crying in front of them. I said, like, God, why do I have this soft? You know, but it, it's fine, they were cool with it. And... Uh, so, yeah, so I grew through church. We went to Ibiza. We worked with a lot of different people. We, we ran a little congregation in the evening. Do you know there's about 30 people in Ibiza right now waiting for Dave and Liz to turn up? 
You know, that's unbelievable that you're just waiting. We need leading. We need, a, you know, they're, they're there. It's, it's, it's almost ripe to, it's like soil that's there. We could really see something happen. And we used to run a little congregation in the evening that had, we had about 10 working prostitutes in attendance. And uh, there was all sorts of different people attending. It kind of felt like church, if you know what I mean. That, but it, it was kind of crazy. The prostitutes, lap dancers, a few drug dealers, some Spanish guys and some Christians and uh, I remember Ellis and, the, Ellis and Dan, our two sons, they were the children's work. And, you know, so it was, it was just an interesting way to grow up. You can talk to him later. He's relatively got out of it okay, if you know what I mean, not too scarred. And uh, then we came back from Ibiza after living there for eight years. And I work for 24-7 Prayer. I'm the national director, so my role is to go and inspire people to pray. Because I believe in prayer that wherever we see an outbreak of God's Holy Spirit, wherever we see God at work in our nation, people are praying. Whenever there has been a revival, there is prayer. Wherever we see lives changed, there is prayer. The Arthur Wallace said, every great revival is born out of prayer, sustained by prayer, and brings forth prayer. That whenever we actually see walls come down, prisoners set free, people traffickers caught, there's always prayer. There's the us, the body, outworking it on the ground, but we need prayer. And prayer is essential for both the church, corporate, and us individually. So I'm passionate about it. I get to talk about it. And that has led us into some wonderful places where last year we were involved with an initiative called Thy Kingdom Come, where we helped the Archbishop of Canterbury do six prayer evenings in six cathedrals around the country. Tim Hughes, Pete, lots of different guys. And it went so well. 10,000 people turned up to the cathedrals. It was a week of 10 days of prayer in the build-up. We saw over three thousand churches involved and over 100,000 people praying in 10 days thy kingdom come thy kingdom come so this year I they said could you come and work for us two days a week so I'm now working at Lambeth Palace two days a week as you can imagine I ended up I started in Chelmsford prison and here I am in Lambeth Palace and it's an interesting it's been an interesting journey we're going to see 42 cathedrals this year all wanting to do prayer in a whole variety of ways. We ha- I'm getting emails from people in Australia, the Falkland Islands, Bermuda. I want to do that site visit. And, uh, and all sorts of different places that the, the church is, is stirring again. And to turn, as the Bishop of London said, that we had to turn these places of tourism into centres of prayer and pilgrimage. So that's a little brief of me and where I'm at. And so I want to talk to you about... <laughs> prisons, pimps, and palaces, and now you understand why that goes. Now, we're all on a journey. I was reading a book over Christmas, and here I, I, this, this jumped out at me, and I thought, I'm gonna, I need to mention this this morning. It said that the line in the book was this, the disciples at Emmaus were traditionally depicted as pilgrims. The disciples at Emmaus were traditionally depicted as pilgrims. And when I think about my Christian faith and when I think about our Christian faith, we are all on a pilgrimage. It was the psalmist in Psalm 84 who said this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Our hearts should be set on pilgrimage. That When I became a Christian, it didn't just end there. I I, I didn't just stop 
there. I grew and I continue to grow. Paul talks about going from glory to glory. There's a, that's a beautiful word, glory. It's, it, it comes from the, it, it's kabod, which almost means heaviness. It's almost like we put on more and more weight, something that's happened to me over the years. But we put on more and more of God as we go through life. So each one of us, when we enter into this journey of faith, we're called to pilgrimage. We're called to a journey. The psalmist, when that was written in Psalm 84, was on his literal way to the temple. And so we are on our literal way to greater things, to closeness to God, to a, you know, we are, we are changing, we are being transformed, we're on a journey. And so I want to just to think about three little things that I've learned on my own journey that could help all of us. And they are this, that we must walk in freedom full of grace, equipped by the Father. Walk in freedom, full of grace, equipped by the Father. So we're all on a journey. We're all on this pilgrimage. But what we have to learn is so many different things, but one of the greatest things we can learn is that we need to walk on this pilgrimage in freedom. We need to go on this pilgrimage full of grace. And we need to understand that we have all we need to get through this pilgrimage of life because we are equipped by the Father. I'm going to look at those. So my first thing really is prison. The first time I went to prison, this, I wrote this down this morning. Just, I'm, 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 I'm a dad, so I, have, I laugh at my own jokes. The first time I went to prison, I felt trapped, Okay. There was just a sense of, you know, you felt trapped, you felt enclosed. And there was this incredible sense of a loss of freedom. Losing freedom is incredibly challenging. And it, it, it isn't easy to lose freedom. And a hopelessness can grow in you. you know, and freedom is, we take it for granted at times. I, I know up until that point, I'd taken my freedom for granted. But the minute you can't actually open the door, it's very difficult. I, it was in Chelmsford Prison in 1988, it was 23 hour a day bang up. So we had an hour a day where we were allowed out. And so it, freedom was challenged. And there was no televisions. This was the day before you had a toilet or a television in your room. And, and, and don't anyone ever say, oh, it's like a holiday camp now, they've got a toilet and a television, because it's not. But the, the reality is, it was incredibly challenging. But in many ways, we all have our own stuff that captures us, that gets locked away. We, have, we get bound up so easily. We all have our own little private prisons, that somehow we have these things that go on in us that capture us, that get locked inside of us. And I remember this one interesting thing that happened to me was, I did my longest spell, right, so it was lots of little spells, so it was in four months. So on the last day of the four months, I was, I woke up in the morning, remember it's clear as a bell, and I thought, this is all right, I can get used to this. Guy brings my meals in the morning, you know, it's all right, it's not, it's not ideal, but this is all right. And I became comfortable with my incarceration. I became comfortable with my incarceration. I didn't enjoy it. I just accepted it. The inevitability of it all, just, well, that's life. That's just the way it is. Two hours later, 
I had a knock on the door and it was a prison guard and he said, Brian, we're taking you to Crown Court today. And I was out. And I do believe that the Lord was there. Just don't get comfortable with this, Brian. Don't get comfortable with this. There are those who do much longer times in prison. But we become comfortable with that. And it made me think, what have I become comfortable with in my own life? What am I entrapped by? What strongholds do I have? Ed Silvoso said a spiritual stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness, which causes us to accept as unchangeable situations we know are contrary to the will of God. Somehow, R.T. Kendall says this, when the, a stronghold is when the mind is convinced that the situation is unchangeable and hopeless. And the Lord says, it was for freedom that I've come to set you free. And I think we easily get tied up and bound up as we go through life, as we go through our pilgrimages. We easily become imprisoned to different things. I was praying about this. I was reading a book by a guy called Artie Kendall, and he listed strongholds that he felt were in people's lives. And I, as I went through it, I was like, oh no, there's like about... 27, too many points, and I just prayed, and I felt the Lord just lay about four of them on my heart, which I think would be good to look at. We get imprisoned to damaged emotions, largely really around childhood experiences. Negative experiences leave scars on our lives, you know? We're impacted by our parents, our relatives, authority figures, teachers, church leaders, other children. These things have an impact on our lives, overly dominant parents that result that we never really feel that we've achieved what we were meant to achieve or we've done what we were meant to do. An absent parent can leave us feeling insecure and we become trapped to damaged emotions or an unforgiving spirit. The refusal to forgive those who hurt us is almost an invitation for Satan to walk all over us. We also, we're not always very good at forgiving ourselves. We have to learn to forgive ourselves. And we become jealous. It's another thing. I just was thinking about jealousy today, how that just becomes a stronghold, something in our lives that captivates us, something that holds us, that sense of it's easy to see it in others. We can all spot jealousy in other people, but never in ourselves. And it, but here's how jealousy manifests itself. It's critical of others. It gossips, and it likes gossiping. It can be vindictive. We become a little bit ensnared by this, trapped by this. This is all, hey, if, if I'm going to talk about prison, it's, it's, it's never nice stuff. It's never nice stuff. Unrealistic expectations. I've met many as a man, and I possibly was one of those men who assumed a spouse will compensate for the lack of fulfillment from childhood experiences. We become trapped by that. We start to imagine that our wives are going to sort out all our mummy issues, you know, and stuff like that. And that, I'm just talking about me. And, and, it, does, and it, 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 it ensnares us and it creates all sorts of problems. Or we can, an unrealistic expectation can be this, believing that money will make us happy. In a materialistic society, it's very easy to drop into the fact, if only I had a little bit more, I would be okay. I would be happy. If only I had what they had, I would be happy. 
So for me, we do become ensnared. We do have our own private little prisons. And it says, now the Lord is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as I share some of this stuff, I almost hear in my mind, yes, but how, Brian? How do we get out of these things that trap us? The first is this, recognize that you're trapped. Talk to others. We're in a community. Talk to others. I'm struggling with this right now. This, I'm trapped in this right now. I have this overwhelming sense, as Pete or someone was sharing this morning, I have this overwhelming sense of fear in my life. I'm trapped by it. And then pray. And my, my... my final thought on how do we get free is not just pray, but get counselling, get help. You know, we're, we're all very good at getting our cars MOT'd and serviced so that they don't blow up. We're not always so good at getting our own lives MOT'd and serviced, are we? We just think we can go on and on and on in this typical kind of a stoic British manner of it'll all be okay, and we, we hold it all together. But there has to be a time where we come and we say, hang on, I need some help, I need some help. And then I look at pimps. You know, I always found this quite challenging that when we worked in Ibiza, it was, it was really easy to have grace for prostitutes because it wasn't their choice. No girl when she's young ever sits around and thinks, when I grow up, I'm going to be a prostitute. Just people don't think that. It's not, it's not your dream. It's not the ideal. It's not what goes through their mind. They're dealt a whole load of rough choices and difficult things, and this happens So you can have grace for people like that, but it's really hard to have grace for pimps, the people who do it to them. Incredibly difficult. And what I found about faith is this, is that the Lord comes and he helps us have grace for others. William Booth talked about difficult people that were put in front of him. He called them trophies of grace. They were presented to him in order to grow his grace. Grace is mercy. Grace is I do not get what I deserve. You know, so, so grace is something that we're constantly challenged with. It talks about our Lord. It says he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace. And so there's this challenge on my life to be gracious, to love those who are unlovable. And you know, sometimes it's easy to have compassion in certain areas and grace in certain areas. But the unemployed guy over the road who's just bought a new 50-inch plasma screen, oh, can't believe he's spending his dole check on that. Do you know what I mean? We all have different things to set us off. We were driving here yesterday, and this woman pulled out in front of me, and I wasn't incredibly gracious. She did nearly kill our entire family. Well, at least three of us. Poor Dan would have been in, not in a university on his own. We'd have all been splattered on the A12. But uh, don't always respond well, but I want my responses to be increasingly gracious. I need to react more with a smile than with a frown. When you read the, uh, the New Testament, you see that nearly every single letter, the greet- in the greeting, the, the word grace shows up. In the blessing at the end, the word grace shows up. Why is that? Because I believe that the apostles knew the church needed it. We need grace. We need to be a people of grace. People need to be able to show up and feel loved, feel accepted, feel cared for, regardless of all the other stuff that they're involved in. They need grace. Paul greeted people with grace and he left people with grace. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, 
it says this, my grace is sufficient for you. We've received grace. I have been a recipient of grace and it has brought me great freedom. But once we've received grace, we have to learn to be the people who give grace, who take grace to others. You know, how do we, how do we become increasingly gracious to the, towards those that wind us up? We're not every day bumping into pimps, are we? But there is someone who just doesn't clean up the kitchen at work. There is someone who whines, someone just laughs at that, yeah, we know, there are. There are those people who have a knack of getting under your skin, don't we? I, whoever finds, this is, you might, this not, might not happen to you, my brothers know how to wind me up without even saying a word. Okay? Family sometimes, just, they just know how to do it, don't they? They know exactly the right triggers to push that make you angry, and we need to learn to have grace. You're going to come across people in, in your life who are just, you're just, they're just going to do your head in, for want of a better word. And they're going to, make, they're going to wind us up. But we have to have grace. Because if, or we're just like everybody else. That's, that's, that's my fault. We, we, we don't want to be like everybody else. We're, we're called to be disciples on a pilgrimage, on a mission. We want to be those full of grace. And so how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, pray for them. Pray for them. That's so hard, isn't it? To pray for pimps is hard. But I tell you, said our Lord, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in many ways, these guys are persecuting all sorts of people, but we are called to pray for them. And I do not for one minute say that is easy. But we have, I, I've had situations Throughout my life, were full of. Um, sorry, I did that last one deliberately. Sorry, Pete. <laughs> I do think there, it might be going though. But uh, th there are situations through. <laughs> so I do it again. Make him jump up. You're so attentive. It's so cool. Thanks, Pete. It's wonderful. <laughs> Can't even remember what I was saying. Yeah. So. <laughs> Seven minutes. No, six on my little counter, so we're good. Uh, I've been hurt by people throughout life. We all, it happens. They don't necessarily know they've done it. It just happens. And I find that a way to get free of some of the hurt that has been caused is to pray for those who have hurt you. And if you can't do it on your own, find someone else who will sit with you and help you. Because there's a really beautiful transaction that happens as we pray for others. Pray for those who have persecuted us, who have hurt us. Not an easy thing to do, but someone that we must. And finally, palaces. Well, I never thought I'd ever work in a palace. I've got loads of little shots of me mincing around in a palace now. Are you allowed to say mincing? Is that still cool? Was that ever cool? Can you even really imagine me mincing about in a palace? It's a... <laughs> Well, you know what? You know what often happens. I don't know about you, but this this might happen to you. I'm I'm not sure, but there's these moments where you just feel like you're an imposter. If people really knew what I was like, that occasionally we suffer from what I would call imposter syndrome, where we feel out of our depth, and then we deal with it. We get on. We readjust. We realign, and then we get in another situation where we feel out of our depth. And new situations can trigger old problems. 
stuff that you, you know, insecurities that rise up. So I was expelled from, you wouldn't be, this is, you, you'll be surprised to hear I was expelled from college, okay? So that has left me uh, a little bit academically without any pieces of paper. I have no written qualifications. And then I sit in a room with people who have lots of qualifications, and I feel out of my depth. Don't worry, it doesn't happen as much as it used to. I, I don't feel as, uh, you know, we're on a pilgrimage, we're growing. Uh, my weirdly, my accent can leave me feeling vulnerable because in Essex and East Belfast, they never say the THs properly. No, but and you, 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 weirdest little things that can make us feel vulnerable, that can make us feel like, oh no, I don't fit in. And I don't know what they are for you, but I want to be honest about what they are for me in order that it would help you think about what is it in you that stops you from being the fullest expression of who you're meant to be. What is it that holds you back? What fear gets inside you? What stuff's imprisoned you? What, you know, what is it that kind of stops us from being who we really are meant to be? And we get this little voice in the back of our head that says, you're not good enough. And then before we know it, we start saying, I'm not good enough. And, and it gets in and it creeps in and we have this imposter syndrome. But here's an, we went, Pete and I went for, for uh, tea with the Archbishop of Canterbury at his house. It's a palace, I think, in Canterbury. And so we were, it was just really normal, cups of tea and biscuits. It was like, normal. And I, I was having to explain about how this person at, at Compline, in, which is an Anglican service, as many of you know, had at the end of it received prayer and God had shown up and it was an, an amazing thing had happened and she'd given her life to Jesus. And it was wonderful. So Pete said, tell the Archbishop, so I, I want to encourage him. I said, so someone was at Complan, which is a diet drink that you get after. And, you know, if you want to kind of like not feel out of your depth with the Archbishop, you need to at least remember what the services are called. You know, so this person was at Complan, which, and, and, but then you just like, you swat, you get swallowed up in, in this inner world of, oh my goodness, oh no, oh no, you know, all that stuff, it just knocks around inside you. Now, not for one minute, other than the general, ho oh, oh, ho, bishopy kind of laugh that went on, there wasn't really, <laughs> no one gave me a hard time about it, and I'm perfectly fine, I don't need you to come up and give me a hug about it afterwards, I'm really, really good. You know, but there is this sense, the stuff that goes on in our minds that stops us from being fully who we're meant to be when we realize that we have all we need from God. You are a child of God, as we sang this morning. That's enough. I just say, that's enough. That is enough. To know that I am loved by the Father. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. He will give you all you need for whatever situation you are in right now. For us, so often, the challenge is circumstance. For God, the challenge is always character. God does not always lift us out of our situations, but God will always be present with you in your situation. He, he will give us all that we need in order to be all that we're called to be. And so recently, I've just, it drives me to my knees. In, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. And so how do we deal with these complexes? How do we deal with all the stuff that sometimes churns around inside of us? Well, remember that our Father in heaven equips us, equips us. And we need to ask God to equip us. God, I need you. We need to ask friends to support us. And then, for me, I've developed mantras to remind myself. You know, just little mantras that you say. 
I, often when I get up to preach, I get nervous, and my little pre-preach mantra, don't worry, it's nothing weird, pre-preach phrase that I whack around inside my head is this, Brian, just be yourself. Brian, just be yourself. And, you know, all, and so I, I, and there's other ones where you're, you're not... Uh, <laughs> and when, sometimes when I go to some of these slightly more weird meetings in cathedrals, you're not here because you're like them. You're not here because you're like them. No, but sometimes you try... They've, invi- they've invited 24-7 prayer in because we bring something that's different. And so we're not here because... Of, and I just... It just Develop them. They're good for you. Bible verses, superb. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world's Bible verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? Make them part of your everyday life mantras that come into you. know, even so, That's why singing is so beautiful. It gets stuck in your head. A good song. You're a good, good father. It got stuck in my head for about three months. It's unbelievable. It's brilliant. So, you know, after a while, it got a bit wearing. But, you know, it, does, it, it was really hard. But just get, get things into you that build you up and remind you that you are who you are. So, the disciples at Emmaus were known as pilgrims. You're all called to journey with God. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you know one of the greatest things you could ever do is journey with God. Because he asks us to walk in freedom, walk in freedom, to be full of grace and to be equipped by the Father. It is so good. There's a verse, if we could just click back to it, I just want to read this in finishing. It is, it's at the end of Hebrews and I want to speak it over you, if that's okay, as a blessing for you. So I want you to receive this. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.